Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So yes, you are here because you are meant to be here today. Because the Lord wants to say something to you today. So great that week after week we can encounter him. It's an enormous privilege, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I don't want us to take it for granted. I've been reminded of that myself this week, just about how easy it is to take it for granted. And uh, so I don't want us to do that. Last week, Easter Sunday, and uh, Pete just really helpfully walked us through actually some of the Old Testament, talked about, if you remember, just took us on a bit of a journey. Uh, Didn't actually really talk about the resurrection so much, but talked about the whole story, God's story, if you like, that all led up to Jesus coming. This amazing story in the Old Testament of how there were so many times when the line that led to Jesus could have been broken. People had to go into hiding, and yet God preserved this line until Jesus comes, until the times have reached their fulfillment and he's born. And uh, just really a a great reminder that, that nothing is left to chance with God. You know, that's true of your life too. Nothing is left to chance with him. And uh, I found it really helpful just uh, hearing and inspiring just to hear that story again as Pete walked us through it. And we're just going to pick up, a, uh, after that, we're going to pick up really the story of, of what happens right at the end of Luke's gospel, where Jesus is now appearing to his disciples And particularly, we're going to look at Luke's version of the Great Commission. So we've all heard that term, the Great Commission, which is where in Matthew, Jesus commissions the disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. And the wording in Luke's gospel is slightly different. And we're just going to, we're going to look at the context of that. We're going to look at that, particularly because we are just about to move into a new season of the church's life. So you might remember that we've got a a vision cycle that we're currently working through this year. And just so I get it right, I better better read it, but I make sure I get it right. So in the first term, the first sort of part of the year, we looked at building the church. So basically this vision cycle is around the church's mission statement to build the church, to glorify Jesus and to serve the community. And that first term we looked at building the church, we, we ran an alpha course, we, we, we looked at discipleship so that we were building the church. And then in the second part of the cycle, we, we, we looked at going deeper, glorifying Jesus. And we're now into this third cycle, which is looking outward a bit more, serving the community. So we've looked, we've looked in, we've looked up, and now we're going to look out. And so it feels like this is a a good passage for us to begin this new part of the cycle as we start this new term. Schools are about to start a new term. We tend to go with the school terms. And so uh, this feels like a a good opportunity for us just to orientate ourselves with this part of the the vision of the cycle that we're going to go through as a church. So Luke 24, and we're going to read from 36, verse 36 to 53. It will come up on the screen for you. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, my hands and feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. 
for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, have you got anything to eat? And they gave him a bit of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. He's just proving, look, I'm not a ghost. I'm a real flesh and blood person. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you are so good to us. You have been so good to us. You promised to continue to be good to us. We thank you that you have made a way for us to engage with you and with the Father. We thank you for hell subdued and peace with heaven. That's what you've won for us. And uh, Father, I pray that you would meet with us powerfully by your Holy Spirit as we consider your word this morning. Amen. Okay, a bit of a quiz for you. Okay, is a picture going to come up? Should do. Okay, there we go. Anybody tell me who that is? Justin Welby. Right, who's Justin Welby? Anybody know? Thank you, Don. Archbishop of Canterbury. Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, we're, we're not Church of England, but we love our brothers and sisters in the Church of England. And I'm a particular fan, I have to say, of Justin Welby. And uh, so look, you did get it right. And his name will appear, as if by magic. There you go. You were right. Don was right. And uh, I was interested just to, to find out what his Easter message had been. And so I just went onto his website and uh, I read his Easter message. But then I also read this, which is almost like a personal testimony. And this is what he says. The most important thing I've ever done is to become a follower of Jesus. I took my first steps with him about 42 years ago. And over those years, he's been a faithful friend, sovereign Lord, compassionate, forgiving, my ever-present saviour, everything in my life, the heart and foundation of all I am. Following Jesus has been the core point of my life. And that's one reason why I want everyone to hear his voice calling to them and to learn what it is to find his love, his call, his direction and his purpose. And then he actually adds this, that's why I'm pledging to pray for more people to know the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ. Isn't it great to have someone in, ahead of the Church of England 
who actually has a living relationship with God. I mean, it's a little bit worrying that we should even doubt that that's the case, but actually sometimes, you know, sometimes it has been. But now we've got a leader of the Church of England who is passionately, as we've sung about, in love with Jesus. Okay, next bit of the quiz. Who's this then? This is a bit more difficult. John Sentamu. Okay, Jennifer, do you know what, he, what his role is? But he's Archbishop of York. But, but respect for knowing who he was. I think we should, don't you think? Who knew that was John Sentamu? No, a few. Okay, Jennifer, well done. It is indeed John Sentamu. He's the Archbishop of York. He's the second most senior Christian leader in the Anglican Church. This was what he said at his Easter message last Sunday from the pulpit of York Minster. At the age of 10, I too encountered the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. He became and is my obsession. He is the one I live for, glorifying him, trusting him, rejoicing in him, reveling in him. The object of my boasting or glorifying in the death of my Lord fills my horizons, engrosses my attention and absorbs my time and energy. I am obsessed with Jesus Christ, his death, and on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus Christ captivates me and fills me with joy and thanksgiving. I'd have liked to have said that. Do you know what I thought? Oh, imagine if those had been my lines this morning to you. I found it so encouraging to read what those two guys right at the head of the, of the Church of England are saying about their own personal faith, that they are obsessed with Jesus Christ. And actually, it was interesting just that some of our songs that I didn't know particularly uh, that we were going to sing today were just really around that, almost that, um, I'm in love with you. My goodness, we, I mean, that's quite an odd thing to sing. For a bloke, it's quite odd to sing sometimes, Jesus, I'm so in love with you. It sometimes feels a little bit awkward. But yeah, actually, do you know what? I don't think John Sentamu would have any trouble singing that when you read what he's just said. Because he is obsessed with Jesus Christ. Passion for Jesus is the fuel for proclamation, okay? We are just about, as a church, to move into a season where we look at much more about pro- proclaiming our faith, how we can be on mission together as a church, as individuals when we are in our workplace or with our families or at the school gate or at university or at studying, whatever we're doing, on mission. And passion for Jesus, I am coming to realise, is one of the greatest fuels for proclamation of the gospel passionate about making him known do you know what believing and knowing that Jesus Christ really is the best news that this world has ever had and will ever hear will fuel your proclamation of him and uh, sometimes um, I don't know if you come across people who are passionate about things so Uh, many years ago when I was still working in a primary school, uh, one of my nursery nurses, her name was Emily, and she had this passion. And uh, this passion was that with her boyfriend at weekends, she would um, go to conventions and she would dress up rather like characters from Lords of the Rings, you know, like mystical sort of characters from mythology, and they would act out battles and, and stuff like this. And, you know, it just sounded weird. 
It sounded weird, but you know, she was passionate about it. And every, every Monday she would come back, she'd tell us where she'd been, wh- whether she'd been an orc this weekend or, 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 or whatever. And uh, they, there was no doubt about her passion. You know, after a while, we, be- we, we became quite intrigued. And on Mondays, we would say, so Emily, what, what, is, what were you this weekend? You know. now, now, sometimes Emily didn't have the... Let's, let's say that her... Sometimes it's, maybe she lacked a little bit of emotional intelligence because I think sometimes she couldn't see when when actually the, the interest was draining from our faces as she was going on about it. But, but boy, did she have a passion. And she was, she was not worried about proclaiming her passion. Uh, how is your passion for Jesus at the moment? How is it? If you were to give it a rating from 1 to 10, where would it be? Do you know what? If you are asked that sort of question, I would say that probably 9 out of 10 of us maybe feel some sense of guilt when a preacher asks that question. Oh, I don't know, my passion's not really... Four or five. <laughs> hey, now, here's the encouraging thing. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had that, that amazing encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, yeah, where he encountered him, where he saw a bright light, and he heard Jesus speak to him. Thirty years later, he writes the letter to the Philippians and he says, I want to know Christ. Thirty years later, he's still realising, I only know that much about him. I only know that much of him. Oh, I still want to know him. And in that passage, it's that passage where he goes on to, to talk about, you know, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead, I press on to the goal. What's his goal? It's, sometimes we think when he's saying that, he's saying, oh, I've got to do more, you know, I've got more effort for the kingdom, more, 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 more of my energy to serve God. Now, what's he saying when he's saying all those things? He's talking about what he's just said. I want to know Christ. That's the thing where I'm going to forget all the rubbish. I'm going to press on to win that for which Christ has called me. Knowing him, that's what I want to win. Him. 30 years after he was floored. And he's still saying, I want to... Do you know what? Don't feel discouraged if on your passionometer you feel a little bit low. Because actually we should always be pursuing passionate relationship with him. And it's on offer. It is on offer. The best news that you will ever have in this life, the most profound news that you could receive, it will never be topped by this good news. Okay? Now you may have some good news. And we all have good news, don't we, sometimes? I've got a new job, James. Yes, finally. My job's come through. Yeah, I've got a new job. Fantastic. We're having a baby. Or we've had a baby. Just another baby in our church. Toby and Abby, we didn't announce it. Toby and Abby had a baby on Friday. Friday. Okay. New baby's come. Okay. We don't know a name yet, I don't think, do we? New baby. Good news. It's fantastic. We're going to celebrate with them. The most profound good news we've, you can have can really affect you, can't it? Good news. The doctor says, it's all clear. I'm all clear. And we rejoice, don't we, with each other when we get good news like that. 
when we get good news of new birth, a new job. But you know what? That new job, well, it, it may not bring everything that it promises. Beth got a new job too, haven't you, in Leeds? Hey, hallelujah, great, good news. You can go and get married now because you've got a new job. You can live, you can afford to live in a house, not in a tent because you've got a new job. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. But you know what? New babies will grow up and leave home. And Jesus says, I'll never leave you. The new job doesn't quite deliver all I thought it seemed to promise. And Jesus says, I've come that you can have life in its fullness. Yeah? One day, the doctor will say to me, or to whoever is unfortunate enough to be down as my next of kin, there's nothing more we can do. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The good news of Jesus Christ trumps any other news, good or bad. Do you know, he's, like, he's, he's the top trump card. Have you ever played top trumps? Or your kids, your grandchildren, Jennifer, your kid, grandkids got top trumps cards? Yeah. And you, and you know that if you're playing top trumps, there's always this one card, isn't it, that you really want to get. Because if you get this one card, this one character, it's like you're, you're, you're unbeatable. You get this. Unless, unless, unless the person who's your opponent chooses some obscure category, and maybe there's just one obscure category, you know, if, if they latch onto that, if you, let, if you let the game away with your face, oh, I've got this one, they think, oh, yeah, no, I know what category's going to win. That's that obscure one at the bottom. Anyway, okay, I've lost it. Do you know what? Jesus Christ is always the trump card. Yeah? He's always the trump card. Any category you choose to, to you, you care to choose. Okay. Influence. Well, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay. Power. Power. Yeah, no, I think that. And God placed everything under his feet and made him head of everything for the church. Okay. All right. Wisdom. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Loyalty. Loyalty, okay. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Experience. Okay, so let me look at that one, that category. Maybe I can win on that one. Experience. Before Abraham was, I am. Kindness. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He is the top trump card in your life. Do you know that? Passion for the Lord Jesus will fuel your proclamation of him. You know, sometimes we talk about evangelism in church, don't we? And it's another thing. It's a bit like when the preacher asks you about what's your passion scale for Jesus at the moment. And then the, probably the next worst one is how you're doing in, sharing, in terms of sharing your faith at the moment. You know, when we put this cycle together with these three elements, um, looking up, looking in, looking out... 
There was a bit of me that thought, right, I hope we get that through that one quite quickly. Is, how long is the summer term? Is that a bit shorter than the other two? I'm all for the looking up. Oh, I love that. Oh, the looking in. Oh, yeah, discipling the church. Yeah, I love that. The looking out. Yeah, okay, if we could do that just for a couple of weeks, that might be good, and then move on. You see, what I had failed to really grasp is that if my passion for Jesus Christ increases, I won't have any problem proclaiming him. Yeah? God is the gospel. Yeah? This is what John Piper says. All God's good gifts are loving to the degree that they lead us to God himself. This is the love of God. Doing everything necessary, most painfully in the death of his son, to enthrall us with what is most deeply and durably satisfying, namely himself. Now sometimes we can talk about things like forgiveness and justification and those are wonderful, but they are only wonderful if they put us in a position where we think, oh, I'm forgiven, that means I have access to you. God is the gospel. He is the good news. Jesus is the good news. It's not forgiveness that necessarily is the good news. It's not justification. All those things are good news, but the ultimate good news is him and knowing him. And that's what fuels our proclamation. With, without that, there's a bit of a danger in terms of my proclamation, okay? And I don't know if you can identify with this, but we live in, in a relatively rich country, okay? I know that some of us are not rich in this country, but if we compare ourselves with other nations, we live in one of the most richest countries. Whatever your income is, you will still be counted amongst the world, in terms of the world's population, as one of the richer people, though we might not always feel that. And do you remember what Jesus said when he was talking uh, about the rich young man? You remember that rich young man who'd come to him and said, what must I do to be saved? And he goes away sad at the end. And Jesus says, do you know what? It's more difficult for a rich person to go through the eye of a needle than to be saved. And then the disciples say, wow, gosh, who, who can be saved then? And you know what? Actually, in our society, that is true. When you talk to other people about Christ, don't think that somehow you talking about a better lifestyle is going to tick their box necessarily because they may be quite happy with their lifestyle, thanks very much. And the danger can be that when we are proclaiming, that when we're sharing our faith, we're, we're trying to do that, well, you know, he brings peace to me and um, I, just, I just know he's there for me and all of those things are great and they're true, aren't they? But actually, if life's going okay for somebody in the world, they might say, yeah, well, actually, do you know what? That's fine, I've, I've got my family who are with me. And, and you might say to them things like, yeah, but one day they might not be. Yeah, but, but do you know what? The, the, the pie in the sky stuff, that doesn't, that, does, that doesn't do anything. 
And sometimes we can think, oh, I've got to give a message about how transforming to my life Jesus has been. And yes, of course, that's a good thing to talk about. That's not the ultimate. And for some people, that won't do it. That won't do it. Because actually, they may say to you, my life's fine. My life's fine. I went yesterday to a, a wedding. And uh, uh, they, if I just tell you that they had the wedding in the grounds of their home, it would just perhaps tell you something about what sort of home it might have been and what sort of income it might have been. They were lovely, lovely people and I, I got to spend a long time with the parents of the groom. It was a real privilege just to chat with them. Um, but probably if I talked about lifestyle with them and Jesus making your life better, they, do you know what? They'd, they'd say, we're okay, thanks, we're okay. We're okay. That's not going to do it. That's not going to do it. And the other thing that, that sometimes then we get into is we talk about, perhaps we talk about eternity a bit. Well, you know, he's come, he's come to save you. Save you from your sins. Well, people don't know what sin is anymore. They don't know that. Do you know what people, people don't hear about sin in school assemblies anymore. <laughs> so people don't know that sort of language. Sin, come save me from my sin. What do you mean? Oh, he's come to save you from hell. What hell? What that story that, what about flames and stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's all a bit medieval, isn't it, really? Now, I'm not saying that actually we shouldn't be preaching about hell a lot more than actually we do. Do you know what? If you read the Gospels, Jesus spoke about hell more than all the other books of the Bible put together. Paul, John, Peter, Jesus spoke about hell more than all of them put together. Yeah? And one of the things that... Um, a, 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 Tim, a very, a very well-known American pastor and preacher called Tim Keller has written a really helpful article about hell. And he says, actually, when the Bible uses analogies and talks about flames that will never cease and, and that sort of thing, and weeping and gnashing of teeth, and, and we're trying to get our heads around what that means, he said, Tim Keller says, when the Bible uses analogies, the reality is actually far worse the analogy is pointing towards something that's so awful that the writers are just trying to use whatever language they can to describe something that is just without equal. What separation from God really means, and that's what hell is. And, uh, yeah, maybe we should talk about hell a little bit. But, you know, that's not even going to do it necessarily. The thing that's going to do it is our passion for Jesus Christ that fuels us. Because it's about a person. It's not about, oh, you can be forgiven. Yeah, oh, well, don't, yeah, do you know what? I don't feel that bad. So I'm okay. No, no but you can, have a great, you can have a great life. You can have Jesus with you all the time. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, yeah, but you can be saved from... Yeah, but I don't, no, I just believe death's the end anyway. I don't know, let me introduce you to the person who, who I've met who's, just, who's changed my life. Let me introduce you to this man, this wonderful person, Jesus Christ. The gospel is a person. That's what the good news is. And if we want our own mission, when we're at work or at home or with family and we're wanting to share faith, and we just think, I don't know, if we want our mission to be fueled, the best thing we can do is to put ourselves in positions where we can consider him, where we can fix our eyes on him, where we can say, Jesus, I am so in love with you. Now, what Jesus did in that passage that we read from Luke was he opened the scriptures to them 
And suddenly, they, for the first time, see that everything in their Hebrew Bible, because they only had the Old Testament, remember, was pointing towards him. Oh, my goodness. It says their eyes were opened. Oh, now we understand who you are, what you are. Oh, now we understand. It's not that you've come to rescue us from the Romans. Oh, now we understand everything was pointing towards you. It's not what you're going to do. It's you. Oh, now we get it. And it's interesting that right at the end of that passage in Luke, before the Holy Spirit's come, it says that they, they left there with joy. They were in the temple courts all the time. This is before the Holy Spirit's come. They're filled with joy. Why? Because now suddenly we understand, oh, it's you. And you're alive. Now we get it. We've seen you. You're alive. And actually, do you know what? When Jesus was taken back into heaven, they could have had the same feeling almost that they had when they saw him on the cross. But the thing was, when they saw him on the cross, they didn't understand who he really was. And now he's opened the scriptures and they understand who he really was. And even though he's gone into heaven and he's talked about this promise that the Father's going to send, and they're probably thinking, I don't know what that is, but you know, we'll wait for it because he's told us to. And, and now actually we really trust him because if he says that there's a something coming, we can wait for it. Do you know what? Now we believe it. Now it must be true because not only have we seen him risen, but now we understand who he is. Because everything in our Bible, he's opened up. Now we understand what it was all pointing towards. If you want to gain a passion for Jesus Christ, then make sure you linger in the Bible. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't stress that enough to you. <laughs> you know? Sometimes you think, oh, he's talking about Bible again. And it feels like law. Oh, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to call it time. No. It's about understanding that whatever part of the Bible you're reading, you can ask for revelation of, what is this telling me about you, Jesus? This bit in the altar, this story about Joseph, written thousands of years before you were born, what does that point towards? Oh, my goodness me, oh, it points towards you. I can see it. It's all pointing towards you. Wherever you read in the Bible, ask for revelation about what it reveals about Jesus a bit more. Yeah? Yeah? Ask for that revelation. When Jesus reveals that story to the disciples who are on the road to Emmaus just before this story, it says that, oh, there did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us, in effect, that's what they say. Ask Jesus to do that for you when you read the Bible. And when you come and gather with other Christians, when you are in a community group and you're having a Bible study or whatever it is, and I say, oh, that reveals, Lord. <laughs> Do you know what? Yes, the Bible is great for telling you how to live life. It's full of wisdom. It's, it, it, the Proverbs are all about that. Don't do this, do this. You're going to live better. Yeah, okay. No, it's, it's, but it's not just, it's not a manual. It's a revelation of who he is. And if you want your life to be filled with passion for Jesus Christ, then when you read God's word, look for every example of it pointing towards Jesus. And you get this rounder and broader picture of who he is. And then, oh my goodness, your passion is stirred and passion fuels your proclamation. And then you don't need to worry quite so much about writing. I pray that the Lord gives me an opportunity with my boss today. No. Passion that fuels our proclamation. Yes, 
ask for compassion too. Because compassion can also fuel your proclamation. Passion for Jesus, but also compassion for those around you. If I were to ask you the same question, probably most of us would feel a sense of guilt about it. How are you feeling in terms of your compassion? for your work colleagues, for your family at the moment, for those who don't know Christ. Where are you on your, on your compassionometer? Okay. <laughs> you just have to ask God to stir that in you. And that's been something I've been praying for in the last few weeks, particularly, God, I've, I don't feel that. Oh, God. And he's done it. He stirs it in you. Suddenly you feel, oh, I feel, I feel real compassion for this person. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for an opportunity. Oh, God, I'm going to do that. It's wonderful when it happens. So if you don't feel a lot of compassion at the moment for others around you, what the devil would like to do is make you despair about that. No, don't do that. Pray. Just ask, God, I just feel a little bit lacking in compassion. I want to proclaim you, but I need a bit more passion for you. I need a bit more compassion. Oh, Lord, give me some more compassion. He'll do it. You're, knocking, you're pushing at an open door when you ask for that. You know, when, when we pray that part of the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, this is his will. The Bible says it's, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. So when we say to him, God, I don't feel very compassionate, the option is to feel awful about that and just think, oh, just I'm obviously clearly not a compassionate person I might as well give up that's one option or the other is to say oh God it's your will that none should perish so your will be done and do something in me so that I am filled with compassion for those that I am alongside do you know what, do you know what compassion has done for me a little bit it stirred me to pray it stirred me to pray for people You think about that story about the rich ruler and when Jesus says to the disciples, it's more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's like they're in despair. They say, oh God, well Jesus, who then can be saved? And he says, oh yeah, but what's impossible for man is possible with God. And so at that point you're thinking, oh right, okay, that's my option then. That's my only option. Do you know what? That was my only option. I was at this wedding yesterday and it was waiting for one of my students. I feel such compassion for this guy. I love him to bits. I pray for him. I do. I pray for him. I write a scripture verse in his wedding card. I pray over it before I give it to him. I can't make anything happen. I can't. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. Yeah? And it's stirred. The one thing it's done is it's stirred my prayers for others. If you're not feeling a great deal of compassion, what the Bible says to you, and listen to it, is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the enemy would like to say to you, you haven't got a lot of compassion, have you? You're rubbish. You're a rubbish Christian, aren't you? And don't you dare believe that. Now, if you don't feel a lot of compassion inside, ask God for it and for opportunities for it to grow. And suddenly you see people in a different light. You think, oh, yeah, I'm seeing you slightly different. Oh, I feel a bit more. It grows exponentially in you. Passion for Jesus and compassion for the lost are the two greatest fuels for proclamation. 
It's not about going and learning techniques. And I'll finish with this. Now, having said it's not about learning techniques, Paul and Peter are really helpful. And I guess during this season, maybe we'll unpack a little bit. I don't know, in small groups or Sundays, I don't know yet. But maybe we'll unpack some of the, the, if you like, the, the model in the New Testament of how you can share your faith. Because there are some practical things that can help. Here's a couple of them. Peter says this, always be prepared to give an answer. And that word answer is sometimes in some translations of the Bible, it's, it's translated as to give a defense or an intelligent reasoning. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always, so that, that's talking about, you can do some prep for this. Be prepared. Okay, so let me think about how am I going to... So if so-and-so asks me, how am I going to present it without using words like judgment and sin and, and words that this generation don't understand? So let me think, how am I going to do it? And actually, this is exactly what Paul says when he talks about what he did. And it's the next verse. He says, I make myself all things to all people. Yeah? Although I'm free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And he talks about, oh, when I'm with Jews, I come, become a bit like a Jew again. I, you know, it's like I act as if I'm still under the law. When I'm with Gentiles, I, I become more like a Gentile. The message doesn't change. It's not that Paul is saying become inauthentic. He's not saying that, but he is saying, okay, think about who you're with and how you're going to communicate this. And actually, in our generation, talking to young people about things like sin, well, they don't understand what you're talking about. So I don't, let me think about how I'm going to communicate. This truth is still going to be the same, but maybe I'll just change some of my language about how I describe it. Yes, do you know what? There are techniques that can help, and I've just been working my way through this booklet called Sharing Jesus. And I think you can still get it. There we go. There, there's, there's stuff out there. If, if you want some help, if you want to think about how... Okay, give me some tips. Yeah, I want the passion. I've got to have the passion. I've got to have the compassion. Okay, now what about some practical outworking of how I can do it then? How can I can bring this about? And there's stuff that's out there. great book by a guy called Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room. And we, I guess we may even talk about that a bit over this next season. But this book, only £3, you can still get it, Sharing Jesus. It's just full of stories from loads of different people about different ways that they've done it. It's really, really helpful. talks about how to do it with different sorts of people. It's really helpful. It's, it's the becoming all things to all people. That's what that book helps you with. It won't help you with your passion. You have to get that by lingering in Jesus' presence through worship through the word, through, through meeting together with other Christians. Why does, why does Paul say, don't give up meeting together as some as are in, in the habit of doing? Because if you do that, well, your passion's going to die. Don't give up. This is, we started with Justin Welby, let's finish with him. This is what he says. Every invite to church... Every gentle conversation about God, every prayer for a friend in God's hand contributes to someone's secret history.
never underestimate the power and influence your prayers have on the world. Never underestimate it. Passion for Jesus and compassion for others will fuel your proclamation. So never ever tire of doing those things that will place you in a position where you can continue to develop your passion for the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh God, we uh, consider those words from uh, that wonderful church leader, John Sentamu, who talks about his undying obsession with Jesus Christ. And it stirs and it provokes us. And we say to you, oh Lord, help us not to settle for anything less. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of your servants like St. Paul, who after 30 years of encountering you, probably more powerfully than any of the rest of us ever will, in a physical way, still says, I want to know Christ. And it's okay for us to keep saying that to you, whether we feel like we're on cloud nine with you at the moment or whether we feel dry and dusty and thirsty, we can still say to you, I want to know you. Father, I pray that you will birth something in us that will cause us to say like the Apostle Peter, we cannot help but talk about the things that we have seen and heard. That's what we want. We want to be able to say, I can't help it. I can't help it. But to do it with such gentleness, such wisdom, and with huge compassion for those around us who face an eternity of separation from you unless the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Do something in us, we pray. Fuel our proclamation by passion for you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sunday. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.